Hello and welcome, ladies. Glad to see you all here. My name is Kristen Hoff, and I have the great privilege of being part of the Women in the Word teaching team. So I'm not sure how much you have noticed, but our world is very incredibly filtered. We have social media where we get to filter all the things that we share with the people around us. We have Instagram where we filter all of the pictures. Um, I tried to get these guys to filter me this morning, but they couldn't quite figure out how to get that done. Um, but we also have filters that we put in place ourselves from the way that we get our news, um, the way that we look at the world. And I had a big filter on when I first read this psalm. My filter was that of a mom to a 17 and a 14-year-old boy. So when I read this, I heard teenage David say something like, oh, God, are you even paying attention to me? I'm doing all the things, and I don't think you're listening. However, after studying and looking at this and looking at the words that David uses when he approaches God and he speaks to him, that is not at all what David is saying. So I would love to read through the entire psalm together, and then I would like for you to walk with me as we go through this, and we can see why I think this is such a great psalm about trust and obedience as a servant following our great God. So let's look at Psalm 86, beginning in verse 1. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for you do I call all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, and you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So one of the first things I would love to, for you to note is the name that God, David uses for God throughout this psalm. He actually uses three different Hebrew names here. And all of these names, while they're different, they are all names that describe the same God. Just like we all have different names that emphasize different parts 
of our character and who we are and the different roles that we um, may partake of or participate in in some people's lives, they are all the same person. So an example of this is myself. My name is Kristen. I am a daughter. I am wife. I am mom. I have been nurse. I have been teacher. I have been called friend um, to a select group of older gentlemen in my hometown. They call me Uber Duber. Um, there are names out of this list that I love and names that I don't love as much. There are names that I'm sure other people call me that are hope are all kind and generous. But each one of these names describes an aspect of who I am and who I am to the people around me. So besides being different, they all still describe me. And the names that David uses to describe God do the exact same thing. They are the names for the same God, but they just describe him differently. And they emphasize different roles and different characteristics of who he is. So on the bottom of your outline, there is a chart there, and it has the names that David uses, how you will find them in Scripture, so how they're written, and then the different ways that they emphasize parts of his character. So let's start in verse 1, and I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about. See how it is written here, LORD in all capital letters. This is Yahweh. Yahweh is the God. It's what God calls himself when he calls to Moses out of the burning bush. It is a name that emphasizes God's eternal presence and his commitment to help his people. This is the name that David calls out to first. And look at what he says. He says, incline your ear, Yahweh, and answer, for I am poor and needy. Now this phrase, incline your ear, is at, that's David asking God to lean in. It means draw closer to me so that I can speak with you. He is appealing to the name of God that is committed to and has delivered his people in the past. Yahweh had spoken to Moses through the burning bush, and it was Yahweh that helped deliver them out of Egypt. So here in verse 2, we see the name Elohim. Elohim is written God in verse 2. And David is, uh, Elohim mean, is emphasizing God's power, his strength, and his sovereignty. By using this word, Elohim, David is submitting to and acknowledging God's sovereignty. Kind of like saying, preserve my life. I follow you and I trust you who has the power to actually do so. God is the ruler and David knows this and he trusts this. Now in verse 3, it switches to Lord again, but if you'll notice how it's written, it's got a capital L and the rest of the letters are lowercase. This is Adonai. Adonai emphasizes God's complete authority. He is Lord over all or master over all. And this idea of a master and a servant is woven throughout this psalm. Adonai is actually used seven times in these 17 verses. And here David is appealing to his master for grace and help. And I love how it starts off with Yahweh and it goes down through each one of these. It's a progression of who God, uh, David is addressing and what he needs from God. Yahweh, help me. Elohim, preserve me. 
and Adonai be gracious towards me. So I mentioned my boys earlier. Um, They are growing, and they're getting taller, and they're getting bigger. Um, And as young men, I have seen something happen when we've had uh, a few disagreements. And I can remember the very first time I was speaking with one of the boys, and he stood up a little bit taller, and he puffs out his chest a little bit, and he begins to speak with this authority that he does not have. So I very calmly put my hand on his head and kind of squished him back down to normal size. And I said, oh, child, one day you will be bigger than me. But remember, I am your mom, and you do not get to do that ever. He hasn't done it ever again. Um, His brother didn't learn the same lesson. But I see David not doing that. He is a servant. He is appealing before his master. And I pictured David on his knees, bowing his head at the feet of the one who can truly help him. David is submitting himself completely because he understands who he is. He is poor and needy. He is trusting servant, and he understands who God is. God is holy. David submits himself completely because he is in correct relationship with God. So look at the things he also asks of God. He asks, be gracious to me. Gladden my soul because I lift it up to you. Or I cast it to you. David has already given himself to the Lord. He is already at the Lord's disposal. He asks him, give ear to me, God. This is not the same as incline. This is kind of the picture of like, put your hand over your ear, cup it. I need you to hear the words that I'm saying. All of these things are good and reasonable requests of a servant who trusts in their loving master. And why does he trust in his master? Well, we can see that in verse 5. David has been in relationship with God long enough that he knows who he is. Verse 5 says that God is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love. David knows God's character. And it is because of this that he says what he does in verse 7. When he is in trouble, he will call on God and know that he will answer. David is confident to make his requests because he trusts God's character and he trusts him to answer. David's knowledge of who God was and his posture toward him reflect David's heart towards God. We can see this in how he approaches God, and Jesus also calls us to do the same. So look with me at your verse sheet at Matthew chapter 23. In verses 11 and 12, it says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here, in this passage, Jesus is talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, They are really good at exalting themselves over others and showing how good their works are. And what does Jesus tell them? It's not them who will be exalted, but the servant who is exalted. We need to follow David's example and remember that the tone of our prayers reflects our heart. So we have to approach God humbly. 
Just like my teenage boys, I tell them this all the time, it is not necessarily the words that you say, but it is the tone at which you say them. We have the opportunity and the ability to humbly go before our God, and he wants to hear all of our desires. He wants to know all of our emotions. He wants to know how we think and what we are feeling, and he wants to know that because he cares, but we have to remember to do so, remembering who we are and who he is. And then because he cares, we can trust and know that he will answer. So let's begin reading. I want to go back and reread, starting in verse 8. It says, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Now skip down to verse 13. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. So here David shifts his focus from his need and the things that he needs from God to praising God. David was an earthly king who was poor and needy, and yet he had a God who was ruler over all creation, and he was not. God No one can compare to God. He does great and wondrous things. And he is again using that word Adonai to call out to God, his master. He praises God for all of his works and the things he has done for his people. And praising God in this way, David is acknowledging that God is sovereign over his life. David may be sovereign over Israel, but God is sovereign over all. And he shares his heart in verse 9. I love this verse. David hopes for a day when all nations will follow and worship God. This is something that David mentions in several of his psalms. Um, Look at your verse sheet for another example. In Psalm 22, 27, it says, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. So whether David knew it or not, this is a prophetic statement. He may not have known at the time that he said it that this was going to be prophecy. Um, It could have been that he had the Holy Spirit in him and this was something God revealed. Or I think this is also a great example of how David was a man after God's own heart. He had been in relationship with the Lord and he desired what God had desired. We have the great privilege, though, of knowing that that this is a promise that we can hold on to and we can hope in and that will come. Look at your verse sheet at Revelation 15. Verses 3 through 4 say, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. I don't know what situation David was in when he wrote this, but just imagine for a second, as king of Israel, how much better his world would have been if all the nations around him followed and worshipped God along with Israel. Imagine how much better our world would be and how much better it 
will be when we get to see this promise fulfilled. I was kind of thinking and trying to pray over this. And to be honest, I think we get so conditioned to our broken world and the things that we see. I don't even know that my mind can completely comprehend and wrap itself around what this will look like. No grief, no pain, no wars. We will get to live in peace and joy and fellowship with other believers as we worship our God together as one. This is a great promise, and this is something that David held on to and looked forward to. Now, all of these things that David has said right here are great promises and things that he knows to be true about God. But then here in verse 13, he kind of narrows it down to the way that he's personally seen God move in his own life. How many times has David been close to death or threatened? By Saul? In each and every battle that he was ever in? By his own son, Absalom? And yet, each and every time, God delivered him. David's trust in the promises of God strengthened are strengthened by remembering God's past deliverances to him. We need to make a habit of remembering God's past faithfulness to us so that we too can be strengthened in hard times. Think through about the people that you put your trust in. Initially, there was that one request that you made that they promised to fulfill, and they did it. And each and every time you go back to them, there's a promise that they've made, and then they fulfilled. And over time, you have become to know that this is the person that I can trust in. They've proven themselves worthy. How many times has God proven himself worthy to us? So now let's look at verse 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. I think that this is the key verse in this psalm. David's request here is that God would teach him his ways because what David's heart's desire was to walk in God's truth. I have found in my own life that the more I am in God's word, the more I learn about who he is and how he cares for me. And then all of a sudden, I start noticing all of these little things that he's doing for me, which makes me want to go back to his word. I learn more about who he is. And then it always is a surprise. I'm not sure why it's always a surprise, but we get to see God move and we're like, oh, there he is again. There he is again. And it's just a great cycle and joy to constantly be in his word and to studying about who he is. The ultimate act of any servant is to humble themselves to be taught so that they can be obedient and that they can follow their master. Not only does David want to be taught, but he wants to know how to better serve his master. He wants his heart united with God's so that he can fear his name. Now, I love this phrase, to fear the name of God. This is not something where we should be afraid of our God. This is reverence. This is remembering who he is and to give him the honor that he deserves. This is worship. 
David is worshiping God here. And what is it that he had promised him in verse 12? He promised to glorify his name forever. I love that just learning more about who God is was enough to make David want to glorify him forever. At this point, he hasn't even shared what his petition is to the Lord. But by knowing God, David feels confident enough to glorify him for the things that he has done and the things that he knows God will do. David's desire was to learn God's word so that God would be glorified. Reliance on God's word gives us knowledge of who God is and how he loves us. And we get to glorify God by knowing and obeying his word. His word should be what shapes our worldviews. It should be what leads us into repentance when we fall. It should be what guides us in making decisions. It can bring us peace and joy. It will guide us into harmony with other believers. And because I know you want to leave eventually, I will stop there. But just know I could go on and on about the things that God's word teaches us about who he is and how it can change our lives. So not only was this verse important here for us, but what I loved is this summer, if you happen to be in the building sometime in the month of June, you were able to see hundreds of kids studying and memorizing Psalm 86, 11a. They had hand motions. I'm not going to do them for you right now. But they were loud and they shouted this morning and afternoon every single day. Teach me your word, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And not only that, but we gave them t-shirts and put it on the back of the t-shirts so that everywhere you saw were these kids running around and your eyes were constantly reminded, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. This is important. And with God's word as our guide, we can know how to approach God and have the same confidence that David did so look at your verse sheet at John 15, 7. John 15, 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then look at James 4, 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. David asks God for 14 things. There are 17 verses in this psalm, and he asks God for 14 different things, and he doesn't doubt for a minute whether or not God will answer him. And that is because he is abiding with God. With all of the things David seeks, he is seeking the things that God seeks. So now let's look back at his word and finish reading starting in verse 14. O oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give me your strength. Give your strength to your servant. And save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. 
So the first thing I want to point out to you is look at the name that David calls out to. Here, David calls out to Elohim, who is the one authority that can judge those that are opposing him. We also see David make two comparisons here. He first compares those who are opposing him and what they do to the things that God does and how he treats David. David's enemies are the exact opposite of God. They are insolent and proud, but God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. They are ruthless and seeking David's life, but God cares for David and he is faithful. The ungodly men seek to take David's life, but David trusts God to deliver him. Look back up at verse 13, where David praised God for delivering him from death before, and David trusts that God will continue to be faithful and deliver him. The second comparison that we see here is between the ungodly men who do not set God's ways before them and David, who has constantly been seeking God throughout this entire psalm and who calls to the son of your maidservant. Now, the son of your maidservant was known for being especially faithful because they were brought up in the master's house. This son was born into the master's house. He had grown up knowing the master. He knew who the master was and what he wanted, and he was better equipped to serve him. The men coming after David were against God, but David was not. Notice here that even this one verse, that's the only one where David describes the men who are against him. And yet the rest of this psalm, his eyes are focused squarely upon the God who he knows and trusts will deliver him. He knows that no one is like God. God alone created the nations, and he is the one who does great and wondrous things. Yet David is poor and needy. So David asks for the only thing that can help him, God's strength. He can't rely on his own because he knows it won't be sufficient. He is the servant and God is his master. David asks for God's strength to save him instead of relying on his own. Look at your verse sheet now at Psalm 60 verse 12. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. So the final thing that David asks of God is a sign of favor. David wants to see his attackers brought to shame and not because he wants the glory, but because he wants to see God glorified. I'm sure like anyone in trouble, David does not want to be the loser in this situation. He wants to see himself win. He wants to see himself come on top, but not because of himself. I truly think because of some of the things he said that he sees this as a witness to those who are ungodly. How many times has David won a battle because of God's hand of favor? I'm going to give you a hint. It was all of them. Every single one of the battles that David came up against, he won because of God's hand of favor. 
And think about the ones that he probably shouldn't have. Think about the boy versus the giant. And yet he won with a single stone. Think about the battle when Absalom's army came after him. And I love how at the end, David's army won, but it says that the forest captured more lives that day than the sword. The only person that could have been was God. That was not David. And the thing that I love about David is despite his many uh, poor choices and the things that he did wrong, he always gave that credit back to the Lord. David's victory was God's victory. Look again at what he actually asks for in verse 17. Does he ask for the attacker's death? Maybe their complete annihilation? He wants to see justice completely put upon them. No, what he asks for is that they be put to shame because of the Lord. I think the hope is that they would recognize their ungodly ways and turn to God. Remember what he said in verse 9? The nations you made will turn and worship you. This is David's heart coming through. I'm going to be honest with you. I think this is hard for me. I often don't, well, first of all, I don't know that I would call myself someone who has a ton of enemies. But I also, when people wrong me, I don't think my first reaction is to pray that they would know the Lord better. I think my first reaction is... Maybe I can see God's justice first, and then they can go to get to know the Lord better. That is not what David did. And look at your verse sheet at Matthew 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We are called to be God's light to the world, and what better way to do so than by praying for those who wrong us? We get to witness to those around us by appealing to our merciful God in difficult times. When others see your dependence on God, it encourages them. And when you can tell them about how he was faithful to you in a specific situation, it shows them that his power is real and it's true and he is alive and active. Our best testimony to the world is the one that has been shaped by how God has been faithful to us. David's story is great, and we learn great truths from this. The same with Paul's. All of the apostles and the gospels, those are meant to teach us and we can learn. But your story is just as significant as theirs because it's showing others how great and awesome our God really is. So this week, I want to send you out with some encouragement. First off, ladies, watch your tone. If not, I can ground you. Or I probably won't, but still remember, watch your tone. How we approach the Lord is important. He is our holy God, and we are his servant. You, um, are you in your master's word? Are you spending time learning more about who he is and asking him to teach you his ways so that you can better serve him? Are you memorizing it? Are you obeying it? And are you using your story? Your story was personally written for you by God. 
It's yours and yours alone. And if you have been anywhere around Christ Chapel the last couple of years, you have heard about that 800,000. That number is mind-boggling to me. There are people in your midst who do not know who God is. And he has given you the perfect manuscript and the perfect story to share with them so that they may come to know who he is. Let me pray for us. Dear Gracious Father, thank you for who you are and for how you love us, Lord. Lord, thank you for being a master who is kind and gentle, who is just and merciful and who loves us. Thank you for being a master who seeks us and reaches out to us and who is willing to hear us in our darkest times and then in our joyful times. Lord, I just pray for each and every one of these women. I pray that you will give them strength to share their stories and that you would encourage them each and every day. Lord, thank you for your son, and it's through Jesus that we pray. Amen.